welcome back to Rolling Bones, the osteopathic podcast with your hosts, Dr. James and Dr. Dante. We left off our last episode talking about some of the weaknesses in the current uh, model for providing medical care versus healthcare versus sick care. And we were just transitioning to talking about physical culture. And we had mentioned a video, a black and white video showing kids, American, all American kids doing calisthenics, the precursor to CrossFit. And it struck me as interesting that we as a society don't tend to um, speak in behalf of the physical side of culture. We're We're not ancient Greece where you had Athenians who all of their kids were uh, forced by a society to be physically fit warriors ready to defend the city-state from the next Spartan uh, attack or attack from any of the local city-states. And as a matter of fact, you could argue that we are removing it from our society to some extent because when I was a kid, we had all sorts of PE, but PE has slowly been pared down from our elementary schools and uh, eliminated almost entirely in some cases from our secondary schools. In place of PE, we put more busy work, more school work, more time at the desk. And so kids are spending six, seven, eight hours a day sitting all day. And we know, we know that a movement is medicine and sitting is death. And so we are setting ourselves up for physical failure as a culture by training our kids to value only the work of their mind over the work of their body. And you see this also from the the mistaken um, uh, uh, stigma that athletes are physically capable, but not as cognitively capable as their colleagues, When which, which is interesting to me because we know that physical fitness actually helps cognitive function improve. Um, but getting back to this whole idea of uh, in America, we provide sick care, we don't provide health care. How can we reintroduce the uh, social uh, perception or strengthen the social perception of the value of a physical culture. And I'm not talking exercise culture per se, but just physical culture. I'm glad you brought up that distinction in terms because fitness slash exercise culture versus uh, physical culture. I'm looking at my tablet because I have some notes here are actually two meaningfully different terms that I didn't really know how to articulate well until doing some of the reading for this. So for example, like, when we say gym culture or exercise, like current like fitness culture, exercise culture, there there's like an image specifically of like dude in baggy gray shorts, chick in yoga pants. Like there, there, there's right. an aesthetic, right. which, and there's nothing wrong with that, honestly. It's yeah. attractive, it's athletic, like it's a cool thing. But for the sake of our listeners, this is not, this is not about that per se, as valid as that is and as that might fall into play as a type of physical culture, but there's like a there's a hierarchy of these ideas, right? Exactly. Um, 
when I was doing a lot of my earlier training, uh, I guess, end of family medicine residency, beginning of uh, my NMM training and all, in all seriousness, uh, me evolving as an athlete, right? From just being a martial artist to being a martial artist slash weightlifting guy. I started mm-hmm. stumbling upon the literature from like the strong first guys. Everybody kind of it's come up yeah. a couple of times. I'm I I passed my SFG one. I I I can lift kettlebells at a high level apparently, or at least an accept minimally acceptable level to people with very high standards. Exactly. Uh, but in doing a lot of my reading to kind of get into the mindset for that type of training, right? The strong first mindset is a very interesting product of a whole line of thought that goes back into turns out the 19th century kind of when osteopathy began too i kid you not the timelines line up in a way that is so awkward i'm like you got to be making this up so you just can't make this stuff up (laughs) basically people hated american medicine in the late 19th century well there was good there were good reasons for it as we've talked ad nauseum about all of the the failures and the crazy things that were going on. So yeah, let's let's do something else other than call the doctor because if I call the doctor, I'm gonna die anyway. Exactly. And kind of like how we mentioned, yeah, osteopathy was born out of the dissent and the disappointment in heroic medicine, heroic being the terminology mm-hmm. for the working model that was essentially pseudo-French Germanic. The uh there was another school of not medicine, but of they didn't have the language at the time, so they had to make up a term for it. This is actually where the term physical culture began in the American context. What ended up happening was, consulting my notes, it was a movement in the United States during the late 19th century, and it was the culmination of a lot of European ideas regarding how to create healthy, robust citizens in a modern environment, and how does that apply to the American context, which is very interesting because we talk about westernization causing various levels of pathology for all the benefit it gives us right like Mm. i won't die of dysentery but i might get diabetes right i can't say i'm any i'm gonna say i'm better off for sure because dying at 30 of dysentery or cholera right you know but okay now maybe i'm 50 and i have diabetes when i didn't have to but i have the privilege of having diabetes because i didn't die at 30 of cholera you know I think but, this is called the the graying of America. We're living longer, but we're living sicker. Exactly. It turns out this is not a new idea. Mm-hmm. Eighteen forty eight, uh, German immigrants introduced this idea of physical culture into the United States. This idea being that there must be an antidote to modernity, using their phrasing in English because I can't speak German worth worth nothing. That's just I don't have that in me. Which but, is interesting because it was a German immigrant. Last name Pilates, who introduced Pilates in the 1920s. But go ahead. Yeah, actually, good point. (laughs) Something about that. So it's actually really funny when you think about it. We got heroic medicine from German-French schools, and then we got the anti-German medicine from Greek-German things. There's a lot of Germany in this conversation. (laughs) Um, The the antidote to the drug came from the same place. yeah, 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 which going in a completely different direction there's this whole idea that english is just a really weird like pigeon dialect of german and i'm like i kind of get that after hearing both languages side by side i'm like we are kind yes. of a dialect of german we're not really a romance language at all we're really not a romance no, language no we're not all. we're not not latin based uh, yeah. with ex- a few incursions here and there exactly 
But getting back to the idea, the Germans introduced this concept of a gymnasium and gymnastics, like our whole notion of bouncing around and doing backflips and blah, blah, blah. That had to come from somewhere. And that concept of using calisthenics and athletic behaviors for the sake of physical well-being to make the body resilient and robust against the weaknesses of modernity, mm-hmm. that that came mostly formed as an export from Germany as the immigrants from Germany came here. And it That's really took on. Yeah. Well, it, it makes sense because we have the industrialization of the American culture at that time. We have railroads. We have the westward migration. Uh, we need uh, manual laborers working in foundries, working in mills, working in all of the different uh, factories, and they needed to be physically, they were physically demanding jobs. It, it wasn't until the 1910s, 20s, 30s that machines took over a much of the heavy manual labor. So in the 1800s, there was still a lot of manual labor to be done that was physically demanding. You can imagine swinging those sledgehammers to pound in nails on the railroads and and the long rails of of iron and steel and and doing all of that required significant physical fitness. It's funny uh, you mentioned the railroad and sledgehammer specifically. The the implements that were brought over with that type of physical culture, with that type of training culture, right? It was Indian clubs, medicine balls, and maces, mm-hmm. which is amazing <laughs> okay, for somebody like me, because what do I train with now? It's essentially kettlebells, um, iron clubs, and weaponry, which means my training is incredibly Russo-Germanic. Oh, God. But at the same time... <laughs> and it's so impressive that your camera went off. <laughs> right, right, right. You saw both my hands here, so I have no idea how that happened. But That's um, right. There, there's there's this idea that when the ger- when the German immigrants brought over their version of physical training, it was mm-hmm. very influenced by their history, specifically how they interacted with Prussia because of reasons and things. So what they imported was Indian clubs, maces, medicine balls. My camera's glitching out. That's weird. It's just so excited. Clearly. It, it, can't, it can't hold itself. Tell you what, let me just ch- fiddle with that. Um, interestingly enough, that's also how fencing got brought into the United States. Well, it is a, a martial approach. We talked about the martial culture of uh, Greco-Roman states back in the day, uh, Prussia, Germany, Bavaria, all of those states at that at that time in the mid-1800s were embroiled in constant conflict. Uh, you've got the Crimean War, you've got the different uh, Prussian con- conflicts. All of that makes a lot of sense that any... Uh, Immigrants who were leaving such a, a martial type of atmosphere would bring a very physically uh, demanding, physically f- fit type of uh, approach to life. Uh, right. And it would actually make a lot of sense for uh, frontiersmen to be open to something like that, because you think about Abraham Lincoln, for example, uh, he learned from a very early age how to wield an axe such that even as president, he would do this uh, competition with anyone who would who would uh, take him up on it, and he would hold the axe just be- in his hand from the handle with the with the axe hanging down, and see who could hold it the longest, just at arm's length. That sounds pretty fun, actually. And no one could beat him. No one could beat him. He was that strong, even though he was spindly. But because of his life on the frontier, 
he was very physically fit. And then he goes to DC and, you know, you're, you're going to have to exercise to stay physically fit in DC because good food, not a lot of physical fitness. Uh, right. You're in the center but... of civilization in terms of this context, right? You have to, the things you're missing from the hardness of life, you have to essentially simulate, which is an interesting idea, right? It's, yeah, we are so civilized now that we have to simulate the savagery that requires a strong body to maintain some level of health, as if exactly. we were calibrated as organisms to handle some level of adversity. There's um the the interesting thing about all of this. Well, go ahead. Sorry, there's with there's an author thinking. that yeah, there's, there's an author I actually like reading every now and again. Um, it's a Jack Donovan. He was the author of uh, the Art of Whoa. I scrambled a lot of different things together there's an author i like to read uh goes by the name jack donovan he wrote the way of men i almost said the art of manliness mm. which is a podcast by a different guy <laughs> yes uh, they interviewed yeah, each other at some point yeah uh, okay but, um, i, I yeah. am familiar with that podcast yes yeah he wrote a book called the way of men uh sky without eagles a couple uh, becoming a better barbarian stuff like that mm -hmm. but there's this idea that he likes to explore about uh, masculine virtue and so on and so forth um and there's this idea that we are so modernized and so uh, a feat, I guess would be the word, because of modernity, that mm. it's almost like, why bother developing these attributes? Why bother developing this health and fitness outside of just some vague duty to be healthy, which is a fair argument, right? If the only I, if the only reason to train is to be minimally annoying to the medical system, right, then it essentially amounts to all that training and savagery that's capable in our bodies amounts to basically doing chores, and that's not exactly a driving force, right? It's like, why do you train? So I can lower my insurance premiums, which to be fair was the argument of our last podcast episode, right? Right. But it's like, if the only reason you're doing all this cool stuff is to lower your insurance premium, what the hell is wrong with you? Also, <laughs> damn, that society must be hella civilized. Because at that point, it's like, you know how like a peacock doesn't need bright ass feathers? Because what's the point of having all these bright ass feathers? Mm -hmm. That makes training for a human something like peacock behavior for, uh, or rather like um, display behavior, right? It's a, it's like an act of showing how fit you are from a mating perspective. So, yeah, so you can attract mates. Right, like it's, <laughs> it's left the bounds of physical necessity. It is now mating behavior at best. And I'm like, damn, dude's got a point. Well, I, I just had this realization. So we are, to some extent lionizing the physical fitness of uh, 19th century Americans and immigrants. But then how do we, uh, how do we come to grips with they still had a short lifespan? And I realized, now, wait a second. Back then, what was death usually due to? For women, it was childbirth. And for kids, it was uh, early childhood infections. For grown-ups, it was injuries for the most part and or infections on top of those things. So you had cholera, dysentery, you had all of the um, infections due to uh, many of the soldiers in the Civil War, going back to that real quick, died because of infection, not because of the original wounds and whatnot. Right. Now we've come, we've come kind of full circle. So for a while, we got away from doing these physical feats because we were able to develop enough science to make life safer. And public health was a major reason for that, where we are 
We are sterilizing water, making it safe to drink. We are introducing antibiotics. It's safe to go back outside. And now, coming full circle to this, we've we've become very cultured, but we can now safely or relatively, relatively safely become more physically fit again because we don't have to worry about some of the things our ancestors worried about on the frontier. And, you know, that's cool, actually, right. that we've we've been able to now make our lives longer. Now we can go back to, and we, we, have, we have the luxury. Is this weird that we're calling physical fitness a luxury? But we have the luxury to be physically fit and to protect ourselves from dangerous that our ancestors had to worry about on the regular, whether it be cold or hot temperatures, uh, um, animal attacks, animal bites, uh, 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 injuries from your job, cutting down trees or working on the railroad, all of those things have become significantly less dangerous. Uh, and so now we can focus on good getting back to that physical fitness, but our society seems to have forgotten, forgotten, lost its taste for the quite often the only folks that are back into this past time are the folks who can afford it. Right. And to be fair, let's look at this from um the, let's look at this from the evolution of our culture standpoint. We have very much intellectualized a lot of our life. Right. Like um, we have. We have so much technology and I don't mean that in the negative sense. Right. We have so much technology that it's a privilege and a luxury, as you just mentioned, to be fit, as in this is technically not necessary. I just called fitness basically peacock feathers. Right. <laughs> and I meant that wholeheartedly. Yeah. In a world where there's Starbucks chat GPT. Right. And um, I don't know stable electricity what is the utility in having a lot of power in my musculature right my mm -hmm. bicep and my quads and my glutes my whatever will never do nearly as much power will never produce as much wattage right mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. the weakest what power plant like the, the sentence sounds ridiculous because the concept's ridiculous think about how much power output i can generate as a physical being right as work as labor rate of labor as wattage like power over time right yeah if you hooked up a bicycle to an electrical generator to generate electricity mechanically you would not be able to power anything more than a few light bulbs in your house exactly give me give me like a basic 200 solar panel and the dinkiest generator i can get off of amazon and i can outperform all the work that i can do with my body for the sake of plugging something in and hanging it outside on a roof for a couple of hours. What's the mm -hmm. point in being fit? Sincerely, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's it's a challenge we have to overcome because in a world where we are sufficiently civilized, it's hard to make the case for fitness if it, if the only calibration, right? If the only goal is to minimize your health premiums, right? To be minimally not sick. It's kind of a hard argument because medicine is kind of good at that, right? I can right. train to lower my blood pressure or I can take hydrochlorothiazide or I can take maybe lisinopril because that's even cheaper. Both are on the $4 menu in Walmart. 
So for the labor cost of whatever it takes to generate $4 per month to get a 30-day supply, I can get my blood pressure down for way less opportunity cost than if I were to train to get the equivalent effect. What's the point? True. In a world where blood <laughs> pressure can be saved by a pill, right? why do kettlebells? Right. $4 <laughs> per month right. is not a lot. Compared well, and to what is the labor cost of the training, the food, the recovery, the mental work? Exactly. The, the making the space in your schedule, making the space in your living uh, arrangement, making the space in your day, so that you can spend. Because we we tell our patients thirty minutes a day at least a moderate exercise five days a week, if we if they can do that. That is difficult to do for some folks when you can just get your lisinopril, pop it in your mouth and go off for the day. You're like, right. why, why, why would I do the hard thing when the easy thing is cheap and accessible? And let's be very honest, effective if the goal is just the prevention of said disease. Exactly. Now, let's be real. We're stacking the deck in this conversation. It's you and I. Somehow we're going to end up stating something to the effect of, you know, here's why it's worth it. But we also need to give the devil its due, right? There's a legitimate mm -hmm. argument to be had for mm -hmm. in what scenarios is it better to just not give a damn about this stuff and just take the damn pill? Because that's the mindset we need to overcome in order to give a genuine case. But I, I figure the best way to do so is to genuinely take the persona of the alternative. Like, what is it like to be that person who doesn't care about this? In a very sincere fashion. You know what I mean? So the, are you going to take the red pill or the blue bell? There you go. Yeah, blue <laughs> bell is a very specific term in this state, sir. We are still in Texas. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah. but, For those who are listening in not Texas, blue bell is a brand of ice cream. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's pretty decent ice cream, I'll say. Well, there you not go. my favorite, but not bad. So... Getting back to that idea, there's this idea that we have to figure out a way to establish a physical culture, because if the only goal is to defeat modernity, modernity is such a sweet promise at such a low cost of, uh, I guess, labor and money, that if it, if the only reason is to make life more financially feasible, it's a, it's a non-starter. We have to take it for granted that we are electing for the more expensive path, Right. You might say we've reached, if you don't mind the scriptural reference, a land flowing with milk and honey. A, I mean, it's a, technically literal uh, at this point, too. So Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a promised land, if you will, when it comes to convenience, when it comes to access to modern foods, when it comes to modern medications. A lot of this really is, and I'm not... I'm not downplaying the roles of cancer and the chronic illnesses that we're trying to prevent, but compared to what it would have been to live, even in 1800s of America, we have reached a land flowing with milk and honey. And it's kind of killing us. It's slow rather than quick, like our ancestors would have died. Turns out milk and honey give you diabetes if you overdose on them. <laughs> yes. And uh, I was just reading how lactose may be one of the... Um, biggest culprits in uh, in the link with diabetes and sugar. But uh, that's uh, another discussion for another time. 
I mean, it also plays no. really well into the metaphor, actually. If we're basically saying it, it we're living in Elysium, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And this idea that the land of milk and honey has been attained, and we as organisms, that we as humans, have no idea how to survive in a land of plenty at a very technical level, right? Um, we've made this that argument very, yeah, many times that we're we're basically a species calibrated for adversity, right? There are there are actual animals that do really well in captivity and domestic in domestic environments like to be fair we did this to them cows do really well on farms at a surviving and reproducing standpoint their lives may suck but you know they're kind of optimized for that sucky life we are not quite there right we're not fully wally yet we are we are domesticating ourselves that's true and and you can see you can see it in our anatomic structures and our anatomy I did just um, mention our canines after all. You did. You did. You, it, <laughs> we have less prominent jaws. Um, uh, our brain casing, our, well, our brain itself got huge because of a number of factors. But uh, in the domestication of ourselves, we are also making ourselves sicker on top of that. Uh, um, it, it's it's kind of a consequence of the domestication process, actually. It's it's an interesting discussion. Right. And it's it's a very cool, like, for those who don't know, I've been nerding out at uh, various levels of engineering because my son likes robots now. Um, it's a really cool optimization problem because as of right now, right, at this moment in time in our history, the modern environment is optimized towards basically high birth rate and longevity at the expense of performance, which is not necessarily a bad first goal, right? Like, it is very hard to die in this country, technically speaking. That being said, the life you have may suck. <laughs> this is a, a very unfortunate uh, fact that we're seeing in our clinics all the time. Uh, patients who are enduring chronic illness, secondary to the availability, the constant availability of highly processed, ultra-processed foods and other things. And then to top it all off, we have this technology that's allowing us to be extremely sedentary. And I say that because you and I are both sitting in rooms surrounded by tech. Yes. And we're sitting in these rooms surrounded by tech. And we're chatting in these rooms while sitting, talking about tech. And what this is allowing us to do. And what's interesting is you can sit all day long and still be tired at the end of the day because you've worked your brain so much, you've worked your emotions so much, cortisol levels are elevated, um, brain activity has been elevated all day. But still, you're, you're extremely tired, but you're not physically fit. And that that seems to be... A, um, uh, a, a difficult thing we face how do we get past the physical or the the fatigue caused by mental uh exercise without having the physical exercise to go on top of that that's actually uh, i didn't expect this conversation to go there that's an interesting thought problem um now to be fair i have a proposed answer because we do this for a living but let's pretend it's not that for a second because mm-hmm. it's one thing for us to just talk to each other about it. Let's let's take the reader there, or the, not the reader, the the listen, the viewer there. 
So let's let's play with this idea. Okay. Um, actively shifting towards the defense of exercise, knowing that we're trying to make a like we we started this conversation making the framework for why the hell does this matter? Right? It's expensive, it's burdensome, it takes up a lot of time, and honestly, food is delicious and reasons therein, right? So let's exactly let's flip this and make the argument for why exercise in spite of all this. Um, because that the the exploration of that question, I think will lead to the answer for the question you just proposed. Is that a reasonable pathway? Let's do it. Okay. Okay. So let's let's start from somewhere. Um we can play this off of a fear-based mindset, or we can play with this. Actually, no, let's start there. If the only calibration is to be minimally minimally intrusive or dependent on the medical system, I've made the argument that medicine is so damn cheap that the labor cost of training, of staying healthy, is, right. makes it not worth it, right? It is so cheap to just take the medicine that what's the point in training? And I'll stand by the idea that that's actually, that's actually a valid argument in the correct time span. So for example, if my time course is over a year, six months, three-month interval, then that, that definitely rings true. However, over the course of a lifespan, I will volunteer the idea that that argument may not be as sound. Um, something that I started focusing on a lot clinically, uh, especially in the past couple months, right? I had that metabolic mm -hmm. health and longevity thing. And for quite a while, my focus has been on metabolic health because it's in the name of my my clinic, right? It's, it's what you do. It's kind of in, in the brand now. But the longevity thing was never really fully articulated, not because I don't mm -hmm. care about it, but because honestly speaking, nobody was ready to hear the longevity conversation. So, well, and and you hope that by building metabolic uh, fitness, metabolic strength, metabolic resilience, that a byproduct of this metabolic health would be uh, longevity, right? Um, and that even, is a very even, real factor, uh, even if it's not a discrete goal. I'm going to help you live a long life. That should be an extension. Hypothetically, that should be an extension of metabolic wellness. It is. But to be perfectly honest, when I signed off on people naming the dang thing, that thing, longevity was the word we agreed upon to encapsulate the strength and conditioning, the musculoskeletal care. Mm -hmm. That is to say... um. Over the course of a lifetime, one of the single best things you can do to preserve a long and healthy lifespan and health span defined as like, you will live long and like the life you have is actually your lean body mass. Which you will live long thing. and prosper. <laughs> right, right. You will live long and prosper if you're sufficiently diesel. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there, there's um, the medicines that we give are good at keeping the system from breaking, but they're not designed to build. Does that make sense? Outside yes. of testosterone, which is the one exception to this statement, which to be fair, that is a very important exception. All of the medicines associated with chronic disease management only blunt, prevent, or shield you from the negative effects of the sedentary life, right? Or the overfed to sedentary life. But 
there's this really weird phenomenon called entropy, which sucks, and aging, which is important. And there's this idea that, yes. like, the labor cost to maintain your muscle and bone is actually um, nonlinear across time. And that's terrifying. What does it mean non-mathematically? It's when you're 18, you sneeze and you're jacked. You know what I mean? Yeah. All things considered, it's easy to put on muscle and bone when you're a young teenager, especially with all that hormone in you. But then you cross 27 specifically for, uh, and then your testosterone starts to peter off. And now the labor cost to maintain, to gain muscle has gone up. And then you get to your thirties, then your forties, by the time you're in your fifties, the amount of labor it takes to maintain your muscle mass is so much greater than it took when you were a teenager that most folks, uh, I was able to look into these statistics for uh, some of the work I'm doing in the clinic. Mm -hmm. Most folks will lose about a third of their muscle mass by the time they're in their forties. Right. So whatever their that, peak that is. Makes, that makes complete sense. And thinking about a third it is a lot. from, well, thinking about it from a, a uh, evolutionary standpoint, uh, and from a physical standpoint, you're most physically able to procreate, to reproduce when you're late teens, early 20s. So it makes sense for you to appear, here come the feathers again. And I'm not saying that muscle is just for looks, but let's face it, muscle is attractive when you're looking right. for a mate. So when you're out there strutting your stuff, from a reproductive standpoint, it makes sense to have a lot of muscle and having that physical strength makes sense when you're building a home, protecting right. your young family, doing all of those kinds of animal kinds of things that, uh, that are, we are built to do. And then over time, and what's, what I find interesting is you, you talked about the 27, 30 years of age. What happens is your body actually starts making a protein that binds to testosterone to keep it from being effective, essentially lowering the concentrations of active available testosterone. It's almost like there's a switch saying, okay, uh, hopefully you've found your mate. You started making kids. You've got an established house. Let's rethink what you're doing with your body. Let's focus it on other things. But despite that switch being turned on, there is still an innate capability to maintain some level of lean muscle right and doing whatever we can to do that will lead to health benefits but the question that we've been discussing is appropriate here too at what cost and is the cost beneficial enough to maintain that cost versus so not not focusing on it so much. So perhaps we, we, and this is where it would be really cool if you and I had like a third person here who just functioned as an accountant. Because um, <laughs> one of the things that I'm very bad at doing is building a pro forma. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know how to build the budget for these types of conversations. Like at a very technical level, I don't know the labor costs of various things. So how about this? I'm going to line out some items for whoever's listening and if anybody there is smart enough to figure out the actual dollar value to what I'm saying, what we're saying, then let us know. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's talk about what what I'm what what pathology we're we're trying to dodge. So compared to peak muscle mass at a given age, 
by the time the average American is in their mid 40s, they have lost about a third of their muscle mass. That's a pretty reasonable statement at this point, which is terrifying the yep. more I think about it. Yep. What is the cost of losing meaningful muscle mass? At some critical point, um, a couple of things. One, the more lean muscle you have, just the better your heart. Like you, you will have a you will live longer from a cardiovascular perspective with more muscle, period. That, that's one thing. Right. However, um, that just tells you when you die. And dying is not expensive. Living sick is expensive. So let's not care about dying for the sake of this conversation, right? Fair enough. Um, sounds so cold when you say it that way, but honestly, de death is <laughs> we, do, we, we do care about dying, but in this right. context, it's, it's not the, the the emphasis of this context. Exactly. Um what was I saying? If you are weak, such that you are not capable of maintaining your own ADLs, your activities of daily living, let's let's play with that idea. At some point, if your glutes aren't strong enough, you cannot get up and in and out of a chair on your own. If your mm -hmm. core is insufficiently strong, you cannot bear load. If your density, like your actual bone density is insufficiently dense, then... <laughs> Not every sentence can be gold, man. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> you are when my you density. <laughs> there you go. When you fall, you break something, and then it's the cost of that of that injury and rehab. You know what I mean? Um, and the cost, cost coming from healing as as well. The the metabolic cost of healing. As a matter of fact, we know. Just to th throw this out here, with our frail patients, frail patients who enter the hospital leave the hospital at much much lower rates than non-frail patients. So when they go into the hospital, if they're frail, they have a much higher risk of death while in the hospital, especially due to uh, um, physical uh, injuries like fractures and whatnot. Exactly. So whoever can figure out how to actually line out these items, it's like the cost of all the supportive care for somebody who is not quite geriatric but is so disabled by their weakness that they need home health and support and all those things and or have accumulated the various pathologies contingent on being physically weak for example uh, the falls the fractures the uh the degenerative changes that that come with being obese without having sufficient muscularity whatever that cost is in the medical system in the united states in the present day 2023 compared against the cost of training and training is not nothing like just to be clear training is not no cost it's the cost of the equipment plus the labor cost which is not monetary necessarily let's call it the opportunity cost of mm -hmm. learning how to do the exercise sacrificing the time to engage in the exercise the various minor injuries you're definitely going to get learning how to do the thing right um plus Absolutely. all the changes in nutrition that are going to be driven by your change in performance right like mm -hmm. it's kind of okay to eat nothing but mountain dew and chips if all you're gonna do is play world of warcraft i don't like that idea but let's be real if you're not doing anything <laughs> with your body you know what i mean if all yeah. you do is dps how much do you really need to do just however if you're going to deadlift right if you're going to deadlift meaningful amounts of load and try to put on muscle you are required to eat accordingly otherwise you're just yep. abusing your body right yeah you so, never you were never never build the lean muscle mass because you won't have the parts to do it. Right. What's all the software going to do if there's no hardware to back it up? Exactly. So 
it's something like the cost of becoming weak to the point where society must take care of you versus the cost of you individually sh like shouldering the cost to maintain your health. That might be the better framework for this because now that captures two ideas. One, it actually objectifies the thing in monetary. And two, one, it, it does this thing where the context is not just not be minimally sick, but it's to stay independent. And my understanding is Americans have this fetish about independence. Right. We need to find some way to incentivize physical culture without necessarily making a martial culture while preserving the all-American right to kill yourself through your vices. I think you just described TikTok. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's this is true, and, and we saw it during the pandemic, but we've we've seen it even before then. Uh, any type of national movement meant to, um, well, prohibition, for example, we tried to get rid of alcohol. What happened? Al Capone happened, <laughs> and we we've, we've seen that time and time again wherever we've tried. And I don't care which uh, political party you you come from. Both political parties have tried to eliminate what they perceive to be vices. And Americans have this tendency to rise up against that kind of machinery, those machinations. And say no. There's a entire city in in the desert somewhere that's based on the premise of indulge your vices, isn't there? Uh, yeah, but what happens there stays there, basically. But um, <laughs> it's important because that, that is we take that as a as a core value of this country, though, right? Like we're right. not trying to build Prussian soldiers. That's a big deal, actually. True. Because, we're we're not trying to make Athenians or Spartans, right? Because in a in a nation state where the individual is secondary to the polis, and the body politic is what you're calibrated for, and you have a duty as a organism to serve the polis. We can actually make a case that your vices do not belong here and extinguish them. However, because of the individuality and the free will that we take as primary values in this in particular environment, you can't like the vices kind of come with the virtues mm -hmm. by virtue of being free will discussions, right? So, like it's interesting. We can't compel people to be fit and strong. So we need to make an appeal to their better judgment to do so, which honestly starts to sound a lot like democracy. Um, the more I think about this, uh, which was not intentional as I started this conversation. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, uh, when, when we start counseling folks regarding uh, this kind of uh, uh, idea, who, who we kind of become thought of as little biddies, right? Uh, busybodies. Why are you getting in, in, into my uh, vices? Why, why are you just telling me about my vices? Leave my vices alone. I want to... Uh, but at the same time, we have to have this conversation because when we go and buy health insurance, we're asking an entire group to defray the risk across the entire group. So we are no longer making individual only dis decisions, if that makes any sense. I so, mean, that's the argument for seatbelts. That that is that's the actually the for argument seat for seatbelts. Uh, it, it truly is, and airbags and all of the safety measures that crumple zones. Everything we've done in the auto industry has been to improve outcomes for a group of people rather than just. And 
that argument was had when seatbelts were discussed. I have the liberty. My freedom. Right. Yeah, I have the liberty to drive without a seatbelt because I have the liberty to die if I want to in a speeding car. And then society said, now, wait a second. If you run into someone and you fly into someone else and they die because you weren't wearing your seatbelt, now you've taken away their liberty. But right. um, how do we how do we build a a healthcare framework on a uh, and incentivize a healthcare framework built on physical culture rather than sick culture? I, I guess that's the true discussion we need to be having. And I honestly, and maybe our listeners, maybe our viewers can point us to this discussion happening anywhere else, but I, I've not seen it. Someone smarter than me, please. Like, because because it's a hard question, right? Um, so with my patients, I appeal to their actual data. Like I appeal to their virtue explicitly. Like they know I'm doing it and I know I'm doing it when I talk to them this way. So for example, I've had, I had a patient who was not making sure to make this as generic as possible while still maintaining the core story. So give me a second because HIPAA matters. I had a patient who was physically incapable of safely hoisting her child onto her shoulders. Mm -hmm. She was a young lady. Mm -hmm. Her child, who is in the 90th percentile for weight, weighs one third of her and he's two. So she's a wow. small lady and he's a big boy. And he's a big kid. Yeah. yeah. Saw the dad. There, he's like the kid's healthy. The mom's healthy. But she's a little lady. He's a big dude. You know what I mean? Like there's a mismatch. Yeah. There. yeah. And she's coming in with like shoulder bicep tendonitis. Like there, she has all the rotator cuff pathology you could think of. And right. it's not like she is um, like an upper cross sedentary lady per se. Right. She mm -hmm. is not somebody who's just sitting at a desk waiting to become sick it's she's trying to do her thing but she's physically incapable of lifting her son now i want you to think about this from the perspective of the moms who may be listening to this i don't think you guys care how strong you are you're going to lift your damn kid and pick it up pick him or her up strength be damned so she found right. some way to pick up this kid and i watched what i did was i parked one of my kettlebells that weighs approximately what this kid weighs in front of her Mm -hmm. And just asked her to pick it up. Just show me how the hell you do this so I know what, what I'm <laughs> dealing with here. And the thing I saw was so mechanically unsound that I'm like, what the hell is this lady doing? And I don't mean that in the sense of like, ha, 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 shame on you. It's, it's like, this poor lady was so physically incompetent, as in weak. Like she didn't have the strength in her musculature. Right. That the only way she could pick up her child was to do something approximating a Romanian deadlift that transitioned to like, a half goblet squat into like this giant kyphotic moment in a lumbar and essentially whip her back back to fling the kid up using maybe oh. a momentum of her skull. And I'm like, wow. Okay. We got to change the mechanics here, my friend. Yeah. I'm like, shit. And she goes, there's no way this weighs. I know she stated explicitly what the kid weighs. And I gave her a kettlebell that weighs two pounds less than that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So she's like, there's no way. And I'm like, you just said how much the kid weighs, right? Look at the thing. I'll put it on the scale for you just to prove it. You know what I mean? And she's like, how, what, why? And I'm like, this this weight is what you're trying to carry every day. And the way you did that clearly hurts you. We need to reconsider this. Um, need so to do I some asked, training. Right. How do you exercise? What exercise have you done? What physical things have you done? 
and she kind of looked at me not not in a like get out of here kind of way but like mm-hmm. she looked at me like i know what her answer is going to be and she goes nothing literally nothing and i'm like and sports that da- do you dance something and she she completely lives in her mind she's an articulate professional she's intelligent she's a human who lives exclusively in her mind space her her body is secondary mm. at a technical mm. level to the like what's the point in having a fit body right but she's a mom now right. and she has a right has a she needs to have she needs to have a fit body and she can't pick up her damn two-year-old and i'm like wow shit um stories like that get my patients to, to tend to care so like that's a very specific yeah. appeal yeah. to a very specific age demographic in the 20s to 40s who are parents of young children it stops being about the health and it's like hey uh uh that's a scenario that i always like to allude to like god forbid there's a fire and i need to carry my wife and kids out of there i need to be strong enough to carry my wife and kids out of there under hypoxic stress and and that's a uh that's a definite um powerful hypothetical situation it's an insane standard too. let's let's pull this back into the provider payer patient incentive model that we discussed that there is a mismatch how do we fit the physical society the physical culture into this model now i will say there are some interesting solutions out there. Anyone who's heard of the Silver Sneakers program is great for elderly oh, folks yes, who are on yes, Medicare, yes, yeah, yeah. getting them to the gym. The insurance that you and I have through our employer provides discounts to gyms, thousands of gyms all over the place. They they offer discounts. So that's that's a start. And right. they it subsidizes even offer, it to some degree. They do have an incentive program where you can uh, log your physical fitness activities and some of your healthy choices and earn points towards uh, items. I actually, I got myself a stick blender based on uh, my healthy choices through this program. But considering you and I work for the same practice, I wish I need you to show me how to do this. (laughs) I will show you how to do this. (laughs) I appreciate this because I I, I juggle a lot of iron. (laughs) And if I can get a blender... You can get a or stick blender out of it. Thank you. Uh, uh, unfortunately, they uh, limit the number of points you can earn in a given year. But that's... Anywho, there are some of these programs out there, but they're not sufficient. Right. That's not it's, enough to they're, build they're, they're almost yeah. They're almost a, an afterthought, like, oh, by the way, and you can do this too. Um, And obviously, it's some incentive. I went and got myself a blender out of the deal. But nonetheless, we have to do more. But the question is, what can be done that is more? Because we have this, this sick care industry that's built in place. It's It's got a um, deep foundation. It's in the psyche. We, we, we've already talked about how easy it is for a pill an and how difficult it is for exercise. So let's talk ideas. Yeah. To be fair, again... Uh, in this particular episode, we are almost uh, deliberately coming in on, without a plan. Like this, this is a discussion in real time to explore an idea. So some of the things I might say are stupid as hell. So know that, and that's all right. All right. So I have this idea forming in my head, where, in the same manner that we have preventive care 
up to a degree. And after that, like, honestly, there's cost to it. There might be something to be said about providing, I don't know, it's something like financial support to get a certain level of fit. And then afterwards, it's kind of on you. So for example, like, uh, um, if it was up to me, so this, this is me speaking on behalf of me, no other entity or organization with my own blah, blah, blahs, right? If it was up to me, and I could wave the magic wand to give everybody like one fitness standard period, I would make it so that everybody was able to hoist 25 pounds up to the level of their chest and walk 50 meters. Perfect. And I have reasons for that number. One, that's an OSHA number, just hooray occupational medicine. They, they yeah. like 25 pounds. But more importantly, a 25 pound is a young non-ambulatory child. I'm heavily biased by the parenting, obviously, if nobody's picked up on all the Disney references by now. But <laughs> and, I, I and can see value. two children, for sure. Right, right. I was telling our colleague at work the other, uh, this, this afternoon what I have to do to pick up my three kids, because God forbid I have to move all three kids at the same time. Let me get, I'll get to that later. If I, if I can wave a magic wand and do my thing, it'll be something like I want everybody to be able to hoist 25 pounds up to the level of their chest and ambulate, whether that's wheelchair, on foot, on whatever your means are, right? 50 meters. Because that tells me that you can manage a load that is the equivalent of a dependent human and transfer said load in a manner that is safe. If you can do at least that, I'm like, all right, you got to be at least somewhat useful. Well, I tell you what, I would love it if all of my tax money, oh, some of it was diverted for like a national gym so that anyone who wanted to go work out could work out. And on top of that, bring institute the siesta like uh, so many of the Latin countries have and give workers a chance to either take a nap or go work out in the middle of their workday or in the middle of their work night at said national gyms. And yeah, not to say that our language is very Germanic. We are not Latin yeah. people. <laughs> That's a very romantic we'll, notion for the non-romance we'll, language, man. <laughs> we, we will mix it up. There you go. Uh, we we do know that uh, when Greece did away with the national siesta time, that their cardiovascular disease went up. There was a strong correlation there. But um, I remember that paper. Uh, it, it would be interesting if we if we took some of our tax money and diverted it from some of the boondoggles and said, hey, let's let's build physical fitness into our communities, e either through uh, direct funding or through incentives, something. And I know people argue you're they're just going to waste the money and they might. They just might. Chances are they're going to waste some because they're humans and I don't care what organization, whether you be government or private, people waste money. That's just what they do. But we're willing to take uh, the losses of whatever we invested in Ukraine. We can take some losses investing in this. Exactly. If we had kettlebells and weight benches and coaches available to every American, we just might make a dent in this whole sick care thing. Might be. Honestly, might be. Um Finishing the the other thought when I mentioned the, the kids. Um, so I'm going to frame this uh, for context. This is not for me to flex on myself. This is to demonstrate what I need to do as a parent mm -hmm. to maneuver kids. Just to give context. I have a 57-pound kid, 
a 36 pound kid and a 38 pound kid. There are situations where I need to be able to move all three of them simultaneously unassisted. Yep. Okay, so let's add that up. Just ballpark it. Basically 55 plus 35 gets you what? So 90. 80? Wait, wait, 50. Yes, you're right. 90 plus 40, mm-hmm. 130, right? Yep. Okay, Farmer so I need, yeah, I need to be able to load 140 pounds onto my body in such a way that I can transport 140 pounds knowing that they are asymmetric, wobbly, soft, and have teeth. And move by themselves. Wobbly. <laughs> so they're little gyroscopes. Honestly, I'm going to tell you right now how I have to load those three on me to move them safely for my own spine. Not mm-hmm. again, not to flex on myself, but because I know better and I know that this is how I have to do it to do what I have to do sustainably and still be a functioning like dad parent. You know what I mean? Okay. So, yes, yes. The 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 55 pound 57 pound kid stands in front of me kind of like a cheerleader he'll do a little dip and jump and i will support his body and toss him up and have him land on my shoulders so he'll now right. ride on my shoulders okay got got that but you're still going to have to squat to get the other two exactly i then have to either lunge or squat down okay one kid will like climb onto my lap and then i'll like do this like preacher curl situation thing yep. to load yep. the heavier of the two kids into that position, kind of on the shoulder rack, kind of like a clean press position. By the way, that's no longer a preacher curl. That's a daddy curl. I'm just saying. There you go. We'll call it daddy curl. The smallest one, I have to do this thing where I have to like scoot my arm underneath the butt and do something approximating a very small snatch to load the kid onto my other shoulder because I don't mm-hmm. have the ballistic, I don't have the, I don't have the range anymore to do a curl for one because I already have two bodies on me and I can't lean. So yep. let's break that down. It's one essentially full height snatch and a catch into a squat lunge to a curl into something like a clean to load three humans on me. Then I have to get up out of that position, grab the diaper bag. There's a diaper bag. Mm-hmm. And walk. So the exercise for this is you take a sandbag that weighs 40 <laughs> pounds, fling that onto your back. Then you need two cat, equivalent. Throw a cat into it. Throw a cat into it. Yes. And then two kettlebells, which are also, uh, which have uh, gyroscopes built into them and uh, do this lift every day. And you got it. Right. Or you just describe being a gonna, parent. We're going to call this the Dante routine. For the record, th- th- this actual circus freak phenomenon is called a two-handed anyhow. Two-handed anyhow. I like it. Yeah. There's actually a protocol for it. It's how you lift uh, a barbell and a dumbbell together and hoist them overhead. It's a circus lift. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's a thing. It's uh, uh, Eugene Sandow from Physical Culture. He has a book. Ah. <laughs> um, but There we go. The re- Full circle. But the reason I bring that up is that is not me functioning as an athlete. Or even as a physician, that's me functioning as a dad who has to move some kids in Texas heat because it's hot and they can't walk on concrete and it's burning through their shoes. Yeah, and it's still 105 degrees outside. That's the actual scenario that I'm talking about. Because mm-hmm. I can I can imagine because people listen to the show over time that they probably would have thought that this is some weird pseudo-combative training drill for me. 
right? Because yep, it's me. Let's well, be I mean, honest. That's... This is a combative dr- combative drill. Yeah, yeah, I'm fighting the sun, right? So or es- escaping with the civilians. There you go. I mean, it could be. It very well could be that. But let's take out the heroics, right? Not quite Daryl Lycos. You know what I mean? This is a basic ass scenario where it's so hot outside or we're out and about and the kids are so tired from the Texas heat because it's 117 degrees that they cannot carry you back to the car. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't leave one kid alone because Dyfus, you know what I mean? When they call Dyfus, no, CP, you get that. I can't leave the kid alone because that's abandonment and, you know, it's hot. So I have to hoist all three kids and a bag, possibly a dog, possibly a dog with me <laughs> safely to a car operate the key fob with my teeth these are real scenarios for parents yep how many parents are only, single there's only only so many kids you can fit in the collapsible uh wagon exactly and i'm a strong human knowingly so right like as a mm-hmm. non as a person who's not paid to be strong i recognize that i'm on the upper end of normal people's strength right yeah, that's part of your your work. Yeah, your exercise goal right. is to be strong. Right. What I just described is actually kind of hard for me. Like I can do it. I can do it technically without breaking a sweat now, but it is an act of labor and skill to do so. Yep. And I'm good at this. Imagine somebody who does. Imagine if your first rep at this is kid number two. Your status post C section. You have a diastasis. And you've and never done a clean to, and jerk in your life. Yeah. And you're trying to do this and you just make things worse. Yeah. So by the way, the reason I keep going back to this parenting idea is I don't know if I can incentivize this at the level of like uh, the insurance system. I can, I, I only know how to appeal to the reality of, I guess, parenting. Cause it's a fairly good assumption that for the average American environment, at some point, a kid's going to get involved in the lifestyle. Whether it's your kid, a nephew, a niece, I don't actually care. But it's it's reasonable to act as if the average American adult will interact with at least one kid in a positive manner at some point in his or her lifetime. You know what I mean? So like, I don't know. It's It's a bit of emotional manipulation, but the inability to effectively and safely hoist kids for me, it triggers just enough that it makes me go, where's my damn kettlebell? It's it's a definite. Uh, now, now, the interesting thing about that is for, for an incentive for a young parent, that makes a lot of sense. What about the middle-aged parent whose kids are teenagers or older? Um, I, I have uh, friends my age whose kids are going off to college now and doing things like that what would the be the incentive to stay physically fit now i i see with my parents they've always maintained a fairly physically fit status and they they go out and bicycle with each other uh, they they live near a national park and they they go out to this park on a regular basis and cycle uh, and they do hiking and, and get outdoors quite a bit and at their at their age, they they have their aches and pains, and they've had their orthopedic uh, injuries and whatnot. But they've been relatively chronic illness free from some of the other stuff that we regularly treat. And it's been interesting to watch them be able to 
live a physically fit life and how much that's benefited their their overall mental status, their enjoyment of life. I think that's the one aspect of this physical fitness that we should not ignore. The older you get, the more physically active you can stay, the better off you are. I have one patient, he comes in once a year. He's like 86, 87. He's on one medication. And every time he comes in, uh, everyone who works with him goes, how did this guy make it with this far with one medicine? But he stays active in his garden. He he stays physically active with his family. And he's an overall really happy dude. I, I remember one of my mentors as a, a early 20-year-old would tell me that he did not want to die in a rocking chair. So he stayed active his whole life. And for him, that was what defined his his happy place to be physically active. So I think that's one one aspect of this whole uh, physical culture that we we have to recognize is there are some physical benefits in the older population who are no longer ne- necessarily lifting kids to escape, but still maintaining a good mental status and a happy life through physical fitness. I'll say there's a bit of an American theme in this episode, but um, allow me to try to encapsulate that to see if I caught the vibe right. Mm-hmm. As much as I basically operationalized health as a means of like duty for the sake of parenting, like for my what I discussed, Absolutely. what I'm hearing right is something like once the duty's over, right, you're allowed to technically speaking not have that, but there's something to be said about health or fitness, physical fitness in this context as the means of preserving your freedom to be as an individual, right? Like, yes, because you're mobile, because you're robust, because your medical burden's so low. Yeah. You're cheap for Medicaid. Who cares for Medicare? Who cares? It's, you can just, you have the privilege of not having to be burdened, but that privilege is hard earned in physical training. Is that, am I capturing that vibe? Exactly. So we went and visited my parents a few months back. And we went to said national park and we hiked, we spent much of the day hiking and my parents were able to stay actively involved with our family, with all of our young kids and, and, and stay up with them on these trails because they spend so much time doing this stuff already that they were physically fit and ready at the moment's notice to just go and spend time with their grandkids and have a wonderful time. Uh, they're in their early seventies. That's a big deal. Yeah, huge, when I have forty-year-olds who can't walk, you know, what I mean, that's mm-hmm. seventy and hiking in a national park is that that is obscenely cool. Well, and you you also need to know that uh, growing up, we spent a lot of time in many national parks. We we spent a lot of time hiking and camping and and spending time outdoors and so that was something my parents valued so they maintained physical fitness so they could continue to do that and they do it to this day so i think there is some value to the physical fitness the physical culture and in the idea that you can live your best life for as long as you can and to participate actively in your children or your loved one's lives in a meaningful way, even though you're in your seventies. 
that sounds like a decent wrapping it up point, actually. I think so. That is something we can work towards. We can help our patients work towards. And when it comes to their own physical fitness and their frailties, we can help them find the frailties, fix the frailties, and then let them go live their life.